Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good evening, children of the night. Welcome. Come on in and join Mahler, the ink black cat of the nook, and me for this week's Tales to Terrify. Find a seat, settle in, and we will begin. Tonight we will have something a bit different in addition to tonight's fiction. Tonight's theme will be zombie fiction starring female protagonists. To kick things off, we will hear an excerpt from M.F. Wall's upcoming serialized novel, Disease, which the first of which will be released September 18th. Also, accompanying this episode will be a contest to win a copy of this book. Stay tuned for details. And if the arcane machinery that takes the audio from my computer to your earbuds does what it's supposed to, you should be hearing this just a few days before September 18th. Following that excerpt, we will have an interview with the author, another vignette from the book. Then... We will get on to tonight's fiction, which will be about a sheriff out in Nevada who is all about protecting the people she has been sworn to protect in the town of Flat Rock, Nevada. The man in the other room peers sharply into the darkness. His eyes are swollen and bloodshot. One orb is so overinflated it bulges from its peeling socket, rips blanket the dulled cornea, and try as it might, the eyelid is unable to close. Black, clotted blood forms dried rings around the man's neck. Flake by flake it falls to his chest as though his jowls are the world's most profane croissant. His lips peel back in a snarl. The smashing of glass rings through the air. Back in the kitchen, Casey pushes her arm through the broken window of the door. The damn thing is jammed, of course. Alex stands beside her, thin-lipped and fidgety. He knows the stakes are as high as they get. Casey pulls back her arm. Glass nicks at the skin. It's useless to try the knob from either side. The only way this door is opening is if she forces it. Casey slams her foot into the wood, just beside the knob and lock. She drives her heel into the door. Her foot punches through the wood and for a moment it sticks. Cheap piece of shit. It isn't even solid. She looks over her shoulder just in time to see a shadow approach. Like the mouth of a hyena, the man's skeletal jaw gleams teeth from the darkness of the hallway. Alex pulls on Casey's arm. The man launches himself at her. There's no time to think. Casey acts on instinct. She rips her bleeding foot from the piece of shit door and shoves Alex into a corner. She raises her bat. It makes a sickening thud as it connects with the man's skull. He goes down and without even a momentary pause, springs for Alex, now at eye level. Alex tries to dart around him, but the man is quick, very quick. His hand snags Alex's pant leg and drags the boy towards his gnashing teeth. Alex thrashes, kicking wildly. Casey, 
crashes her bat down on the man's head. Skin leaks down his face, alleviated from its tenuous grip. The blow knocks him sideways, but he doesn't loosen his grip on Alex. Nothing slows him down. She swings again with skull-crushing force, caving a dent and causing the man's remaining hair to stand awkwardly askew. He turns his repugnant face towards her. A raspy attempt at a growl escapes his chewed lips. Slam. Casey's bat finds a home. Chunks of bone and tainted flesh splatter the lace curtains adorning the windows. She hits the man again. And again. And again. Finally, he stops moving. His skull obliterated, now twinned to the body lying in the study. Disease is a serialized novel, with its first installment due for release on Thursday, September 18th. Most of the fiction that comes my way is either in the short story format or something much longer, like a novel or novella. Many famous fictions began as serials, such as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories. Why choose this format? That seems to be the question that everybody's asking. Everybody wants to know, why serialize? Back in the 1800s, everybody was serializing. That was kind of the, the thing to do. You're, you're totally right when you mention that. Uh, there was uh, Three Musketeers. There was Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, Count of Monte Cristo. There's uh, so many things uh, were serialized. You were basically considered a hack if you couldn't get a serialization deal. Now, of course, we consume fiction a lot differently these days. Everybody tends to read big chunks, but... I kind of feel like everything's going towards a shorter format. Everybody's watching Vines and reading blogs. And what better way to kind of, what better time to kind of bring back the serialized novel? And, and what I really like about it is the intimacy that you can get with your readers. When you're watching a show like, say, The Walking Dead uh, or American Horror Story or Maybe you don't watch all the horror movies like I do, and <laughs> maybe it's The Bachelor that you're more interested in. But um, you are waiting week to week. You just can't wait to see what the, the what's going to happen next. And that's really what I want to bring back to the novel, not just you by yourself reading before you go to bed and maybe you can't put it down but I like that finite cutoff that even if you could continue reading I've said no you've got to wait until next week maybe it's because I'm a little bit of a control freak but I really like the idea of people kind of going to work and and talking around the water cooler about the book that they read instead of just the bachelor that they had seen the night before so that's what I really want is I hope it takes off. It's not just from from my format, but I'd love to see a lot more serialized fiction coming out where everybody was just chomping at the bit, really, to read the next serial. You, of course, must be a fan of the zombie genre. Do you have a personal favorite TV show or movie that features zombies? I do. I really like zombies, and one of the reasons that I love zombies is because they're used as a catalyst to push characters together that wouldn't otherwise be together, and not just for a few hours, but really for their entire, the rest of their lives, uh, however long that might be. And you get a lot of friction between these characters there, and I find that very interesting. And what show does that better right now on TV than The Walking Dead? I do have uh, some issues with the show at some some points. I've joked uh, with my husband once in a while and called it the boring dead, but for the most part, I think that they do a really good job, and uh, they've weeded out a lot of the characters that I didn't like, and uh, now I'm, I've got a lot of hope for the next season. As far as movies go, most recently, I would say 28 Days Later, I, I really feel like they revitalized the genre because, uh, and no pun intended, it was pretty much dead uh, before 28 Days Later came along. Um, but also, I really like the original Dawn of the Dead. And uh, the reason being is because zombies are really used for what they should be used for, which is a metaphor for, for society. And again, all of the good zombie stuff is about the characters. It's not just about the zombies. Although killing zombies, let's be honest, is a lot of fun. 
We're a literary podcast here. So what about books? There are so many examples of printed zombie fiction out there. Any that deserve some recognition from you? I think it's safe to say that there's an obscene amount of zombie fiction out there, even more so than movies. The typical zombie movie is just about a few folks uh, killing zombies and trying to survive without much more of a plot, but there are a few that have stood out to me. Uh, Bear in mind that I haven't read as many zombie books as there are out there. I don't think anybody probably could. Uh, But anybody really looking for a good zombie fiction, uh, aside from my novel disease, of course, should probably check out uh, Zone 1 by Colson Whitehead. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but the zombies in this book aren't your typical zombies. Uh, some They basically just hang around uh, doing the same old tasks that they used to when they were alive, like making copies in the office. And that isn't really my favorite kind of zombie, but the book itself is really well written, and it's an amazing satire and thoughtful look on our own lives, uh, which I really liked. Another one uh, that I think is worth noting is a book called uh, Can You Survive the Zombie Apocalypse? Now, you might laugh about this, and the reason that I I say that you might laugh about this book is because it's really just a choose-your-own-adventure for adults. I ate through the shelves of choose-your-own-adventures when I was a kid, and they were so much fun, so I I was so happy when I came across this book because I could just kind of repeat the same experience, but as an adult, and the zombies aren't really a metaphor for anything, but uh, you can read the book a bunch of times, and one time you might live, the next time you might die, and it's a lot of fun. I wish that there were more choose-your-own-adventures written for adults. What can you tell us about the undead in disease? Are they the slow-moving zombies of The Walking Dead or fast zombies like George A. Romero's? Are they all the same, or do you have a few that are special mutants like Valve's Left 4 Dead video games? So I'm such a geek. I really enjoy talking zombies, and of course, I enjoy talking my book. That probably makes me sound really bad or really geeky, but hopefully nobody minds. So... My zombies, I put a lot of thought into my zombies uh, before I started writing the book. The thing about zombies that that bothered me is if you have zombies that are dead and they move so slowly that everybody could just run away from them, you you have to have a bunch of really stupid characters uh, to not be able to escape these zombies. Of course, when they're en masse, That's one of the really scary things is regardless if they're slow or not, they can still get you. But for the most part, you can kind of avoid those big masses. And if you're smart, you can survive pretty well in a world where everything is so slow that you can just run circles around it four or five times because it can't get anywhere. On the other hand, something about zombies, if they're just fast, that also bothers me too because uh, if they just look like humans... they're not really as scary as if they're rotting corpses, right? And, of course, if they're rotting corpses, they might have a lot of problems trying to to act really being mobile, right? So I put all this thought into into my zombies when I made them, and I have both kinds of zombies in in disease. So I've got the slow zombies, and slow zombies are zombies that... Have are currently in the throes of rigor mortis, so I guess a few hours after death, they're all messed up and, and tight, and they can't really move very well. Or zombies that have decomposed so much that they're just incapable of really being fast at that point. It's hard to chase after somebody if you're missing a leg or if your your muscles are falling apart with every step. On the other hand, you have some some really fast and dangerous zombies. Uh, anybody who's just died, of course, they haven't had the opportunity to go into rigor mortis yet. So they're g- going to be fast and scary. And anybody who's been dead for a while, because rigor mortis wears off and maybe they haven't decomposed enough yet. And I've also put a lot of thought into the decomposition of zombies. And I guess I won't really get into that here because this isn't a zombie podcast. And uh, I could probably talk 
for about 10 hours on that. But suffice to say that I've, I've put a lot of thought into those zombies and I've decided to, to do the slow and the fast zombies because I feel like that's the most natural way zombies would operate in our world if they were to actually exist. As far as mutant zombies go, I don't actually have any mutant zombies in in my novel. I I don't have anything against the mutant zombies, especially if you're dealing with some sort of uh, work that has radioactive zombies or uh, zombies that were made by science of any kind. But for me, I just try to stick with the classic zombie, somebody that's dead and then comes back alive, uh, willing to feast upon human flesh. On your blog, you have an article titled, Why We Love Zombies, in which you share some thoughts on why us consumers of media enjoy the zombie theme. Although we'll, of course, have some links in the show notes for you. Can you expound on your thoughts of why zombies have stuck in our media for so long, beating out Frankenstein's monster, werewolves, and by a decomposed nose, even vampires? Well, I think it's pretty easy to see why zombies have beaten out vampires. For the most part, vampires have become a kind of sex symbol and haven't really been portrayed as this apocalyptic blight on human life. There can also be a fair amount of guilt associated with killing a vampire, depending on the book that you're reading. What's really fun about zombies is that you can kill them without feeling any kind of guilt. This is probably why they've beaten out poor old Frankie as well. Frankenstein was a book that turned the light on the human condition and made us pretty uncomfortable, not only about the ethical boundaries of science, but about our own reaction to those different to us. And I don't think that there was anyone that was happy to see Frankenstein's monster killed. It was a cruel and sad thing, not something that we can really romanticize. Also, Frankenstein's monster was just one monster, while zombies are swarms uh, of the enemy. Again, I think the same holds true with werewolves. They pose a significant danger to those in the community around them. Uh, And they're really scary if you're camping alone in the dark. But I have yet to read something where werewolves are poised to take over the entire world. And since the werewolf is ultimately human and sometimes even a sympathetic character, it's hard to get excited about killing them. I think I mentioned this in the blog post uh, that you referenced, but uh, I really feel like zombies are the new Nazis. They are wartime enemies that tear us apart and also bring us together simultaneously. And uh, they're also an enemy that we really don't have any qualms about defending ourselves with. There's no, there, there is actually some sympathetic uh, zombie literature out there, uh, but for the most part, the vast majority of of zombies are mindless eating machines and they're no longer human. You bash in a few skulls, string them up, burn them, bury them, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, simply, they're just simply something that needs to be eradicated. You can feel good about having a common enemy with your neighbor uh, and it's guilt free uh, to run around destroying them. As for why most, a lot of people like post apocalyptic stories, I talk about this a bit in the blog post as well. I think that uh, a lot of other greater minds have probably waxed philosophical about this uh, subject as well. But I think it's because we have a lot of pressure in our lives right now. uh, And we're very far removed from our original uh, human condition. And that can cause a fair amount of stress in our lives. Fantasizing about a world where we're left to our own devices again, uh, where there's no big brother government breathing down our necks, no crushing mortgage payments, no crappy nine to five, no soul destroying commute, uh, no responsibilities really. It can be a fun escape. Of course, most of us don't really want to see our world come crashing down around us and our loved ones slaughtered before our eyes. But zombie fiction can be just the right thing to take the edge off of the day-to-day life. And if it's a really good zombie book, then when you're done with it, you'll have a new perspective on society and even on life. Finally, what else do you want to make sure our listeners know about disease? Explain the soul of this work to us. What I really like about disease is that it's not your typical zombie novel. Although the zombies do play an integral part in the plot, because otherwise, why have zombies? Disease has a lot of very dark themes running through it. I wish that I could talk about them all here because I worked so hard on them, but I don't want to give away any spoilers either. 
There are lots of ills in society, and during the bad times, especially during something like a zombie apocalypse, these ills can rise to the surface. Disease doesn't take place right after the zombies show up on on the scene. It's uh, set three years after the world has been ravaged. This has given the characters in the book enough time to start putting the pieces back together, but it's also given enough time to the people that want to seize power uh, to get into that position. Disease has a lot of levels in it. Not only does it have the gore and the violence that zombie enthusiasts have come to expect and adore, but it's also a commentary on our society. However, the book is ultimately about the characters. The story I'm telling isn't about the zombies. It's about the people that have to live in this messed up world. It's about the problems that they have adjusting to it, but also about the problems that they've brought with them from their previous lives. I put a lot of hours into making sure that the characters were well-developed, and without that, the book just wouldn't be the same. My favorite zombie stories are the ones that use zombies as the catalyst to push the characters together, uh, and we watch the sparks fly when they collide. When I was writing Disease, I tried to make sure that it would stand up in the same room uh, as other great zombie stories. I don't think that anyone who reads it will be disappointed. Lot can feel the prickling of eyes on the back of her neck. Thick Marge and Arnold are honed in. You've done this to yourself, Aaron, not I. I'm merely an instrument of justice and mercy. Your wife could be out here next to you. Aaron sucks in his breath as though Lot punched him in the gut. Monster. Her delighted eyes smile back at him. An electric thrill fills her belly. Thick Marge clears her throat. We better hurry this up, Lot. Thick Marge runs a sleeve across her brow. Arnold nods in agreement. His bulging neck muscles ripple under his brown skin. Lot's eyes flick to Opie. He scurries away. It's time to wrap up this fine piece of theater. The woods are teeming with disgusting, rotting corpses. The Risen... Out here, it doesn't matter who you are, murderer or newborn babe. Everyone is a walking five-course dinner. Lot's dancing gray eyes lock in on her prisoner. I don't often attend executions, Aaron, but your actions have been so devious that I feel it necessary to speak to you, to hear your reasons why. I pray that you plan on going to your grave with a clear conscience. He spits at Lot's feet. A light spray settles back on his quivering lips. Terror leaks from his pores. Lot imagines she can feel it rushing over her like a river current. She breathes deeply, steadying her appearance for the outside world. Opie returns, shouldering an armload of heavy chains. He drops them near a tree in the center of the clearing. Aaron's voice trembles. My conscience is clear, Lot. Is yours. Lot doesn't hide her smile from him this time. It is a smile that can melt the bark from trees. It is a smile that turns blood to ice pellets that courses through veins and explodes the heart. It is a smile no one else can see through. Perfectly, she says. Aaron bites his tongue. Lot can feel the words die in his mouth. She knows he thinks of his wife. He screams. It is the desperate, broken scream of a man beaten. She nods at Thick Marge and Arnold. They drag Aaron kicking and screaming to the tree. Arnold smacks him across the mouth. Quiet down, traitor. You can't do this. You can't do this. Padlocks click around tight chains. Opie plants a wind-powered noisemaker in the ground nearby. Without your support, she has no control. Arnold grabs Aaron's face. Scream all you want. You're only hastening the inevitable. Lot turns away. Thick Marge and Arnold are quick to follow. Opie starts the noisemaker. It begins to whine. Opie, stop this, please. Opie sheepishly casts a glance at Aaron. The doomed man has no clue who betrayed him. 
He holds Aaron's eyes for a second and then scurries after Lot and her henchmen, leaving Aaron to face his grisly death alone. You are just as guilty as she is, even more so because you know this is wrong. You know it's wrong, Opie. Those poor children. Opie shuts out the screams as he has done many times before and is gone from the clearing. The noisemaker picks up pitch as the wind rises. Aaron's body shakes with fear. It won't be long now. Again, that was from M.L. Wall's upcoming Disease. Links will be in the show notes. Oh, I did forget something, didn't I? I mentioned free copies of the book. Entry into this contest will be simple. Tweet hashtag ML Wall. That's M L W A H L in between this airing and the release of the first serial. Again, that's September 18th. And the author will randomly select three winners. Two will receive digital copies of the book, and one will receive a signed print copy. Since this is a serialized novel, the recipient of the print copy will have to wait a bit longer to receive the prize. And now, for this evening's fiction. Tonight's story is one of those rare specimens that actually have more than one author. Harry Shannon and Stephen W. Booth are co-authors of tonight's fiction titled Jailbreak. Jailbreak is actually a free short story that is the beginning of a series of novels called The Hungry, all, to the best of my knowledge, featuring Sheriff Penny Miller. The first novel of The Hungry also has a foreword by none other than Joe McKinney, a familiar face here at Tales to Terrify. Stephen Booth has served as the Senchel for the Society for Creative Anachronisms in the Canton of St. David's at UC Santa Cruz. I'd be surprised if we didn't have any members of the SEA in the ranks of our listeners. He currently serves as a publisher at Genius Book Publishing. He has a BA in economics slash business with a minor in medieval history from UC Santa Cruz, an MBA in nonprofit management from American Jewish University, and, if that wasn't enough, a master's in teaching from National University. He currently has a YA novel in the works. Harry Shannon has been a singer, an actor, an Emmy-nominated songwriter, a recording artist in Europe, a music publisher, a VP of Carol Co. Pictures, whose catalog includes Terminator 2, Total Recall, and Rambo, and he has worked as a freelance music supervisor on films such as Basic Instinct and Universal Soldier. He has an MA in psychology and has been a paraprofessional counselor since 1988. Many of his clients work in the entertainment industry. Although primarily a novelist, Harry has contributed short stories and novellas to a number of genre magazines and anthologies, including the highly praised Dark Delicacies 2, Limbus 2, Brimstone Turnpike, Tales from the Gore Zone, Small Bites, the Journal Stone Double Down series, A Dark and Deadly Valley, and On Deadly Ground, a collection of Western noir co-edited by veteran authors Ed Gorman and Dave Zeltzerman. His definitive collection, A Host of Shadows, is now available on Kindle. Now, let's hear about how Sheriff Penny Miller deals with a very bad situation in Stephen Booth and Harry Shannon's jailbreak. Say again? Sheriff Miller slid worn boots from the edge of the desk, slammed them down on the messy floor. The antique office and jail were both in the middle of yet another round of remodeling. Dust rose, spread, and slowly settled. The old-style radio crackled with static. Outside, night was spreading like a dark blanket over the little town that crouched further down the road. I said, he killed Miss Barbara by the library, Sheriff, Deputy Bob Wells said. He spoke rapidly, baritone voice thick with panic. He killed her with his bare hands, so I shot him. Slow down. Shot who, damn it? A long pause. More static. It was old man Grabowski, Sheriff. Sure as shit. Laszlo Grabowski is dead, Bob. I know. Sheriff Penny Miller blinked. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Washington straightened her long legs. She leaned forward over the desk, stomach tingling. You okay, Bob? You been drinking? I ain't had a drop, Sheriff, I swear. It was the strangest damn thing I ever saw. Old Grabowski came out of the bushes while I was talking to Miss Barbara. Looked like shit, some sort of zombie. He tackled her and started... biting. I tried to pull him off her, but his arm came right out of his shoulder. Jesus, blood come out of her quick as a double-dipped bull pissing on a flat rock. Miss Barbara was screaming. He wouldn't stop, so I shot him. He kept on biting anyway. I shot him again, in the head this time, and then he quit. And Miss Barbara? Blood out like a pig. Then I saw some more of him coming, and I ran. Some more of what? Of them, he repeated, as if that explained everything. I've got a lunatic in uniform out on the township streets with a loaded gun, the sheriff thought to herself. Great. Deputy Wells, where the hell are you? I'm in the car on the way back. Sheriff, this gets worse. All kinds of people are out on the street tonight, kind of stumbling around, all drunk looking. They look like, well, zombies. And yeah, I do know how this sounds. I wouldn't believe it either if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. Zombies? Sheriff Miller said. She sighed into the radio. Come on, Wells, what's really going on? She stretched the microphone cord, went around her desk, and stepped over some lumber to get her gun belt. She fastened it on as she spoke. I'm serious as liver cancer, Sheriff, came the static-clouded voice through the speakers. Dozens, maybe a hundred of them. A handful attacked Mrs. McCormick's store, clawing and chewing. They flat out ate her alive. I shot two or three with the Remington, but they just kept coming, so I had to light out for base. The sheriff heard Wells sounding panicked as hell, so she knew that whatever was happening, the deputy thought it was real enough. What's your position? Like I said, in the cruiser. I'll be back at the station in two minutes tops. Leave the prisoners locked up. We gotta get out of here. Shit. The radio popped. Wells stopped transmitting. Miller wasn't sure she bought the story. Maybe it was a prank. But that wasn't like Wells at all. Big old serious redneck son of a bitch like him wasn't prone to joking around. So something was going on out there. But freaking zombies? Whatever it was, Miller knew she had only a few minutes to prepare. She was the sheriff and had her duty. She rounded the desk and grabbed her broad-rimmed hat off the rack. She jogged out of her office, past the construction mess, and into the small, old-fashioned western jail. The big key turned smoothly in the brand-new lock. The barred door swung open with a creak. The two prisoners looked up as she approached the cells. Get up, Miller said. Time for my strip search, darling. The closest prisoner swung his feet off the edge of his cot. 
Bowen was busily tattooed, a large biker with long stringy hair, a scraggly beard, and a darkened bandage on his head. He hefted his sweaty bulk off the cot and approached the steel bars. I'm sure I've got something in here you'd like, he said. He leered and began to paw at his crotch. Shut up. Miller produced a pair of handcuffs. That little thing wouldn't scare a gnat into buying a diaphragm. Now get over here and put your hands through the slot. She indicated the large rectangular hole in the barred door. Move it. We got us somewhere to go. Where? The second prisoner, Stillman, asked. He was a tall, wiry, foul-smelling man with a tattooed head and surprisingly delicate hands. He approached the door of his cell. If it weren't for his weirdly tattooed head, Stillman could have passed for an accountant rather than a hell's angel. How he wound up in a motorcycle gang, Miller didn't care to know. Sheriff, where are we going? He asked again. Miller paused. She hadn't yet considered that part of it. We're moving you to another facility, she said. The lie didn't come easily. She usually preferred to play it straight, even with the cons. Come on, I don't have all day. Bowen smelled trouble. What's the rush? Before the sheriff could answer, Wells burst through the door. They're fucking everywhere, sheriff. The former high school athlete was out of breath, uniform dark with sweat, clearly sorry he had let his gut get the better of him. I saw more coming out of the woods as I was pulling up. We ain't got much time. Who's coming? A lynch mob? Are they coming for me? Demanded Stillman. He gripped the bars of the cell door, a sudden nervous tick making his face twitch. Sheriff Miller could smell the guilty sweat from two yards off. Stillman was accused of drugging and sodomizing a minor. His wide eyes gave him away. Never mind. Put your hands through the slot, Miller commanded again. She was surprised by the strength in her voice. She didn't feel very strong. Zombies? The hell? What's going on, Sheriff? Bowen spoke calmly. He stepped away from the door and crossed his arms. Stillman stepped back, a reluctant imitation of his leader. We ain't going nowhere unless you tell us the truth. Wells huffed with frustration and fear. Sheriff, leave them. They'll be safe in there. She stared at him. Probably, he shrugged. I'm not leaving my prisoners, Miller said bluntly. We have our duty. We don't have time for this. Wells turned his attention to the big motorcyclist and drew his club. Okay, do what the sheriff says, asshole, or I'll come in there and crack your skull again. Then the zombies won't have a problem getting at your shit for brains. Zombies? Bowen released a sharp laugh. Oh, bullshit. What's really going on? Some family members coming for my friend here? In his cell, Stillman wilted. What is going on, Sheriff Miller said, is that we need to get you two to safety. We don't have time for any macho posturing. Now present your hands. Holy batshit scratch, Stillman muttered, peering out his small high cell window. You really got to check this out. Wells and Miller exchanged glances. Get the shotguns ready, she barked. Wells ran for the gun cabinet. Meanwhile, Bowen stood on his own cot and looked through the barred window. Whoa, what the fuck is that? I told you, said Wells from across the room. He was loading two shotguns as fast as possible. Zombies. Damn. Bowen hopped down from his cot immediately. He slid his hands through the slot. Move, he ordered Stillman. We gotta go. Miller snapped the cuffs around each of their wrists. She opened the cell doors, ushering the two prisoners out. As they headed down the hallway, Wells jabbed Bowen with his stick. Bowen stumbled a bit. Watch it, dickhead, or I'll turn around and break you in two, snapped Bowen. Wells raised his stick, ready to strike. The convict glared back like a pit bull. Wells! The deputy turned to see Miller with genuine rage in her eyes. They are our prisoners. Knock it off. Wells opened the door to the parking lot and stopped short. The last sunlight was fading out a yellow ball dipping down into a huge pond of black ink. My God, Wells gasped. Miller swallowed. We ain't gonna make it to the cars. Bowen and Stillman stepped forward to look. It was a living nightmare. 
The things were everywhere, covering the blacktop around the isolated sheriff station. Feet shuffling, throats moaning. Features were distorted, clothing ripped. They could have been anybody. Townspeople, tourists passing through, distant relatives. Tattered clothing, gaping wounds, and blood splatters covered their bodies. Dozens of zombies with missing limbs staggered forward in broken formation. The moaning sound floated on a low breeze that carried the stench of rotting meat. The three men stared. Miller looked down at her hands. They were not trembling. Her mind plotted strategy. She looked up again. The closest zombies were perhaps 20 yards away. Wells leveled a shotgun at a man in a dark suit. He fired, the noise-making Stillman jump. The zombie fell heavily to the ground. Now watch this, said Wells. It ain't dead for real. Not yet. Bowen snorted. Hell, he ain't. After a moment, the creature picked itself up and began lumbering toward the station, dark intestines sliding from its gut. See what I mean, Sheriff? Deputy Wells said, terror in his eyes. I do believe we are in some pretty deep shit. All right, snapped Sheriff Miller. Everyone back inside. Lock the door, Wells. I think we're staying put. They locked up. She turned the lights on outside to give them better vision. Peering out through the window, Miller didn't like what she saw. The army of creatures approached relentlessly from all sides, groaning with a terrible hunger. Miller rallied her deputy. They fired through windows and doors as best they could. Soon Miller wished she had put in earplugs when she'd had the chance. The steady gunfire hurt like hell. Aim for the head, called Bowen. It's the only thing that works. I am aiming for their heads, smartass, shouted Wells. They fired and fired. Meanwhile, Stillman sat handcuffed to a chair at Wells' desk in the lobby, the receiver stuck between his ear and his shoulder. He dialed furiously. Prisoner Bowen had gone back into his cell for security. He was visibly shaking. His eyes were wide and white. They're getting closer, Wells hollered. This keeps up. These motherfuckers might be yanking our zippers down pretty soon. The bodies of several of the seemingly endless stream of undead were piled in a rough semicircle around his position at the barred back window. Wells paused for a moment to reload. Shit fire! Bowen jumped back as a rotting three-fingered hand appeared at the barred window, grasping at his head. Holy damn Jesus Christ on a jet ski! He stumbled backwards off his cot, tripped on the toilet, banged his already bandaged head on the cinder block walls of the small cell. Ow! Shut up, said Miller. She peered through the smoke in Bowen's general direction. Bob, how are you holding up? Wells fired the shotgun again. Steel balls ripped the head off another zombie. A wide cloud of blood, brains, and skull resulted. The zombie, a little girl in a puffy white dress, went over backwards, tumbling over other bodies. A moment later, an old man began clamoring over the rapidly growing wall of undead. They kept coming. The floodlights threw long shadows past them, like long black ribbons running off into the desert. Not good, Sheriff. Wells looked over his shoulder at Miller, then down at the growing pile of empty ammo boxes and shell casings. Running low here. In fact, I'm down to about three boxes of ammo, and there are more coming. Maybe we've been et by a bitch wolf and shat over a thousand-foot cliff. Miller began to worry, something she hadn't done in a long time. She was doing only slightly better on ammo, but just because they had stocked more .30-06 and shotgun shells last month. Miller sighted another zombie, a decaying Mrs. McCormick, and fired. The right eye imploded, a reddish-gray cloud blooming at the back of its head. The woman fell forward, only to be replaced by another female limping behind her. Miller called to Stillman. Any luck with the phones? There's a ring, but no one picks up. I've tried every number in your book, and a few of my own. I get a machine or one of those goddamn automatic messages every time. He slammed his fist on the dusty drop cloth. Dust rose from Wells' desk. Whole world must be screwed up. Bet those goddamned Arab terrorists done this. Man, we're running out of time, said Bowen. He paced to and fro in his cell, fondling the bandage on his head. 
If you have any brilliant ideas, Miller said coolly, targeting the next zombie, now's the time to share. Sure, I got one. Let me instill them loose and give us a couple of them scatter guns. Not a fucking chance. Wells, reloading again, turned his weapon on Bowen. We ain't letting you anywhere near those weapons. Bob, said Miller quietly, without looking up. Cover your position and shut up. You ain't seriously thinking of arming this piece of shit, are you, Penny? Miller looked, turning her Remington rifle on him and screamed, Duck! Wells dropped to the floor, scattering red plastic shells. Miller fired at the huge zombie, a tourist in Bermuda shorts, hitting it in the fat belly. The thing didn't even notice it had been shot. It reached down to Wells and grabbed him by the shoulder. Wells brought the muzzle of his pump-action shotgun under the zombie's chin and fired. The resulting boom was deafening. The zombie's head exploded, and the escaping shot shattered the window above. Glass fragments, splinters, and vaporized brains showered down on Wells. On the edge of sanity, he giggled. His broad-rimmed hat protected his face from the fallout, but his uniform was red and soaking wet. Wells pushed the zombie out of the window, out of sight. Stillman suddenly shifted. Behind you, Sheriff. In one smooth movement, Miller drew her pistol and stuck it in the mouth of a child zombie coming in through the window. She winced but pulled the trigger, and the dead boy, one she didn't know, thankfully, slid below the windowsill with a hole in his brainstem. Wells resumed his first position, firing madly to keep up with the ground he had lost. There are still more coming, said Bowen, peering out his little cell window. His voice was high and tight with panic. We aren't going to make it, are we? Stillman looked ready to piss in his pants. A crashing sound erupted from Sheriff Miller's office area. What the fuck was that? Miller didn't know if she should keep firing through the window or shift to deal with the new threat. Torn, the sheriff tried to keep her eye on the window and her office simultaneously. Fuck a duck, she mumbled under her breath. Suddenly, the door to Miller's office burst open. A zombie in full football gear emerged through the door, cleats clacking on the tile. The foul smell of decomposition flooded the room. Wells swung around and blasted at it, but only took off one shoulder pad. The shot came close enough to Stillman to cause him to jump. He was still handcuffed to the chair and went over backwards. The zombie wore the number 12 and looked like a quarterback. It turned to Stillman. It was just shy of two yards away and moving closer. It fell on Stillman, biting off large chunks of the small man's face. Stillman shrieked like a girl. Blood spouted and pooled around him. Miller struggled to get a clean shot. Before she could fire, Wells made his own decision. He shot the quarterback, exploding his helmet and shearing off the top of the boy's head. Sadly, half of Stillman's face vanished as well. Stillman lay still, mouth gaping wide. Blood pooled red around him. Needles! Bowen stood at the cell door, gripping the bars. Wells, you miserable fuck, you killed him. Wells shrugged. Sucker was toast, anyway. Another zombie in a filthy business suit emerged from the office, hitting the thing in the right arm to no effect. She shot it through the face, and it dropped like something made of sticks and rags. Fall back! Miller grabbed a box of ammo as she retreated. Wells scooped up two boxes of shells and followed the sheriff. Miller dashed into the old cinderblock jailhouse, motioned Wells in, and closed the door after him. She turned the key in the lock and stepped back from the barred door. At least that will keep them out for a while. A while? Bowen's voice cracked. That's your master plan? Miller turned to confront Bowen, but she was cut off by a blast from Wells' shotgun. The new zombie went down, but several of the shot ricocheted off the iron bars some fragments narrowly missing Miller's head. Knock that shit off, Miller said. They can't get in here. And yes, that's my plan. Find a way to stay alive. How are we supposed to get out? Whined Bowen. He seemed afraid, alone in his own little cell. Why don't you shut the fuck up and let the lady think? Wells raised his shotgun to his hip, aimed at Bowen. Miller put her hand on the warm barrel. She shoved it down hard. Bob, we've got enough to worry about as it is. Besides, he's my responsibility. 
Give me two reasons not to blow his ass to hamburger, snapped Wells, jerking the weapon out of her grasp. Miller ignored Wells' insubordination. A gore-splattered housewife was reaching through the jailhouse door. The moaning of the creatures outside the jailhouse door was constant and piteous, impossibly loud. Wells drew his sidearm and shot one, two, three times. They fell, piling in front of the barred door. Others tugged them aside and struggled to get in. The entrance was blocked for the time being. Those outside began to eat at the ones in the way. The beasts turned upon one another, biting and clawing. She stood between Wells and the temporarily blocked door. Listen up. We're in deep shit. The rest of the guns and nearly all of the ammo are out there with them, she said. We have no food in here. It's all in the galley. No one knows we're here. That means we're on our own. If we're going to get through this, I can't have you two at each other's throats. We need to work together. Miller stepped up to the cell door where Bowen waited. She hesitated, reading his eyes, and then unlocked the door. Wait! Deputy Wells put his hand on Miller's. He had a look of real terror on his face. You ain't actually going to trust that scum-sucking bastard, are you? I don't see we have any choice, she replied. She turned the key in the lock, swung the door open. It squealed. Come on out. Bowen stepped forward, bloody from the cut on his head. He smiled for the first time. Seeing that grin, Wells brought his shotgun up to his shoulder, aiming at Bowen's head. Bowen stopped short and looked at the sheriff. Bob, she said quietly, until this shitstorm is all over, he's with us. Got it? Wells glared at Miller. He could see that she meant it. He lowered the shotgun. Scratch, she said using the prisoner's gang name. Don't make me regret this. Miller unbuckled her gun belt and handed it over to Bowen. Disgusted, Wells turned away and spat on the floor. Thank you, Sheriff. That's mighty decent of you. Bowen buckled the belt around his hips like an old-style gunslinger. He quietly drew the handgun. Expertly, Bowen pulled the slide halfway back to make certain it was loaded. In one smooth movement, he raised the pistol and fired. Wells's face collapsed into itself. His thick neck gushed. The lifeless body dropped heavily to the floor. Instantly, Miller and Bowen both raised their weapons. They aimed at each other. Mexican standoff. The mob of creatures outside kept trying to push and shove their way into the jail. Drop it, said Miller from the other end of her rifle. She was stunned to see her hands were still not trembling. They stared at one another in silence. On the floor, what was left of Wells farted noisily. Sorry, Sheriff, said Bowen. He grinned. That prick has been looking for a way to get shot since he cracked my skull. I was just, you know, helping out. You're still my prisoner, Scratch. Put down your weapon. What, so you can lock me in that cell again to get eaten alive by them things? He gestured toward the door behind her. You saw what that son of a bitch did to Needles a minute ago. He flat out had that coming. Like you said, we got to work together. Now come on. They'll be on us again soon enough. Miller applied a small amount of pressure to the trigger. The Remington seemed to vibrate. She was about to fire when she saw a hulking creature appear behind Bowen. Miller rapidly shifted her aim and shot the tall, thin zombie just before it bit down on Bowen's neck. It flew backwards. Bowen's gun discharged. His shot was a half-second behind hers. Miller found herself spinning, a pain in her left shoulder that bordered on unbearable. She went down hard, hitting the tiles. Her small body slid through the slimy gore and entrails. She ended up several feet away, face down. She passed out. Miller woke to a buzzing sound. Her right eye wouldn't open. It was crusted shut and covered with blood. Her left shoulder hurt like blazes. Someone was talking to her, but she couldn't understand. The shooting had damaged her ears. She could feel pressure on her shoulder. She looked up to see Bowen kneeling over her. You awake, Sheriff? She heard Bowen saying from a distance. You're one tough bitch, I'll tell you that. What happened? She managed. Her voice sounded far away. 
We made it, he announced. I shored up the hole in the wall with some of the lumber, pumped a few rounds into some of those miserable fucks, and then they just kind of went away. Thought you died a couple of times, but sure as shit, you made it. He finished tying the bandage around her arm, stood, and picked up a shotgun. Now here's the way this is going to work. I'm going to get you outside, into your truck, and put the keys in your hand. Then I'm going to hop on my ride and get the ever-loving fuck out of here. After that, you're on your own. Deal? You killed Wells, she protested without much conviction. Come on, Sheriff. Let's let bygones be bygones. He had it coming and you know it. Besides, what are you going to do? Arrest me? He held the shotgun casually and smiled. I saved your life. Yes, you did. Much obliged. So now I'm going to save yours and we'll be even. He hefted her off the floor. God, you are a sight, Sheriff. If I didn't know better, I'd think you was one of them zombies. Bowen slung a shotgun over his shoulder and carried her past the decomposing bodies. It was early morning outside. They went out the back door. The dead lay everywhere. Wells had a hell of a name, that was sure, because hardly one had its head anymore. The stench was unbearable, but Miller was too weak to vomit. The first hint of the sun peeked out over pines to the east, bringing a bone-chilling wind. She felt cold, colder than she'd ever been before. It was the loss of blood. She knew it, but she couldn't do much of anything about it. Miller shivered. Bowen opened the door to her cruiser, a worn brown and white Ford Blazer, and shoved Miller inside. He got her feet and hands situated on the pedals and wheel, took the keys from her gun belt. He inserted them into the ignition, started it up. There, I'd done what I promised. Good luck, and thanks for saving my ass. Scratch, she began. I could die without your help. Oh, quit bitching, Sheriff. He closed the door with a slam, strolled over to his impounded Harley. Her ears were still ringing. She watched Bowen through the windshield as he stepped on the starter, saw him gun the engine and shake a bit when it roared to life. A hulking zombie came out of nowhere. It jumped up behind Bowen, kind of like it was going for a joyride, and then chomped down on his neck. Bowen's eyes popped open, all funny and wide. Blood sprayed his face. The motorcycle went over sideways, taking Bowen and the huge zombie with it. His boots kicked. The motor kept roaring. She couldn't hear if he screamed. Moments later, the zombie reappeared. It looked up at her, Bowen's blood dripping from the yellow broken teeth. It rose up, lumbered towards her. Miller had a moment of clarity. Her adrenaline kicked in. She let her hand fall on the gear shift, slammed it into drive. The blazer surged forward. The zombie didn't flinch. It went thump, thump as she drove clean over it. Swerving like a drunken teen on prom night, she made her way roughly out onto the open highway. Sheriff Miller didn't know what she would find out there in what was left of the world, but she knew she had a job to do, and no fucking zombies were going to stand in her way. That was Jailbreak by Stephen Booth and Harry Shannon, and it was read to us by our old friend Antoinette Bergen. Antoinette Bergen is twisted and dark, sarcastic and pessimistic, weird and demented. All these things combined somehow make her absolutely adorable. She is the author of Bedtime Stories for Children You Hate and has been known to mail packages of lime jello to people she deems worthy. She can be found on Twitter as at Nettie underscore Bergen and probably won't harm you if you follow her. I hope that your evening has been pleasant and you'll join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify here in the Nook. Pleasant dreams. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.